it's great to be back with you. Uh, it's great to be back with you, Matt. It's uh, America's favorite uh, semi six monthal. I'm, I'm I'm just coining a term. I'm coining a term. Six monthal podcast. Yeah, who know, yeah, we record it. I don't yes. know whenever we want to. That's cool. People like that so, kind of so, thing. Some would say that's. Some would say bi-yearly, but I say six-monthful. That's what I say. Well, but now, but this is your whole new Ethan. You're Substack Ethan. This is crazy. Mm, Substack Ethan. Are we going to talk about that? Are we going to get behind the scenes? <laughs> I, I, sure. I don't know. We can I'm, do whatever. Hey, you're the host now. You're hosting. You're hosting the pod. God, that's the issue I'm having right now, Matt. That's the <laughs> issue. I feel, and I feel like I shouldn't even let anybody know this. <laughs> I've never figured out what to do with my podcast. I've had it for years. I'll, there are people who like it. It's good. It's a really good cast. I think it's been good. I love the French song. You like ease into it and everything. That's nice. You got an intro. You got you, you jump into it. You got a concept. Well, I mean, credit to Jade for finding that song uh, and for so much. But I I have never really hit my rhythm. I've never figured it out. I was listening. I was listening to uh, Blocked and Reported. Uh, Jesse Singal. I had him on my podcast. Uh-huh. He does it with Katie Herzog, and I was just so jealous. Matt, they have their <laughs> friends. They've got a little rapport. She gives mm. him shit. It's adorable, and they're not alone in the world, podcast wise. Versus, I am always the host of the podcast, which is a role I am ill suited for because, as you know, I'm a terrible listener. I just <laughs> like to talk. <laughs> And yet here you are interviewing people. Yeah. It doesn't work. My podcast, I I, I feel like my own podcast doesn't work. And I think that I I need to figure this out. You're being hard on yourself. You're thinking too much about it. You're having good conversations. You're having good people on. You're saying spicy things or something. That's what people tell me. People say that they like it and it gets decent numbers. But it's just, I, I, I look at it as something that needs to be improved somehow and that's mm. one of the things that needs to happen i mean maybe it's got to be you maybe you've got to oh, be the person so you come crawling back to your old <laughs> friend kleinman here <laughs> the podcast extraordinaire it's just never the same it's not the same without you kleinman <laughs> well i i would worry ordinarily in the past that you don't care about basketball and that would be <laughs> an impediment hmm. but but now now it doesn't no, you don't care I... about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the world of not caring about basketball, Ethan. Ooh, it feels good. I probably care question. about basketball more than you do at this point. No, you still, that's the thing is you still care about, but it's so funny listening to the podcast and you like caveat your episodes. Like it's just so everyone knows this one's not going to be about <laughs> basketball and then like and just a are. tangential thing happens to basketball and you just rattle off interesting shit oh. about basketball <laughs> yeah you you listened to a recent episode where that was happening yes, where i was great. getting yes. i was getting pulled back in i was getting pulled back in <laughs> but it's fine to let people talk about basketball colloquially even people who aren't like steeped in it for years it's okay to like no i only have one something. mode I only have one mode. You're one all in mode. or you're all out. All in or all out. I mean, I still look, I, I like the business side of it. And I found myself bringing up Michael Lewis every single time I podcast. And this is no exception. I was looking back on Moneyball and I was thinking, what if Michael Lewis doesn't even like baseball? Does anybody know? I have no idea. 
He just likes like stats and stuff. But maybe but that's what people who like basketball actually like. Is mm. people who like basketball only actually like stats. Maybe. I mean, that's some say that's what it's become and it's a tragedy. Um No, but everybody yeah. used to have those little cards that everybody marked down and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, but but to bring it back, I've just I I feel as though there's some missing element that I need to find. I've always felt that way. I don't feel that way about writing. Um, right now, I I just truly enjoy writing. Um, it's not life. easy, but I but I like executing the concept, and I know I feel as though I know what I'm doing. And podcasting is just this amorphous thing, right. and. I, I don't know what to make of it. I'm less confident in it. So the feedback does more to me. Um, I'll say this. A... You, when you were just now talking, and you brought this up twice, I think you're just saying the Jesse Singal, the thing that you liked about Blocked and Reported is, is, there, is like she's always making fun of him. It feels <laughs> like this is like a weird BDSM thing where you just want a situation <laughs> where people will make Hit fun me, of Matt. you. Hit you're just me. like, you just want, I just want a podcast where I don't know, my, my best friend makes fun of me all the time. That, <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Want? Who doesn't want that? <laughs> um, I I just don't want to feel like I'm so atomized in the world. But it's also mm, reach out and touch somebody. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also just again, I'm I'm confident about my writing. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe people would say that I'm overconfident <laughs> and that I should and do it better. Just, maybe you're just but... like fishing and shit like this. Welcome to the fish fishing <laughs> podcast, <laughs> House of Fishing, where Ethan Strauss fishes for compliments from his most supportive friend. Ethan, I don't even know why you bring up Michael Lewis. You're so much better than he yeah, is. I mean. Oh my God, that has been <laughs> liars <laughs> poker, try hard poker, more like it. I mean, look, I'm just saying that I've got a degree of confidence with that skill. With podcasts, not so much. I did with podcasts with my with my guy Waz at the Ringer, and it was just a Rorschach test of a podcast, and I didn't know how to feel because I did read a lot of the feedback, and mm. people were passionately uh hateful towards it or people completely loved it and i looked at it and i thought unlike when i write something and i have an opinion on it and if somebody gives me feedback and let's say they don't like it i, I i'd rather people like it than not but i still have my opinion on it my opinion of how i did a podcast is totally contingent on the last thing that was said to me that, that that's really <laughs> the case yeah, I, I mean, you know, hey, that's great art. Great art's divisive, and sometimes you just don't know how shit goes. That's, I mean, doing comedy—that's how—that's how this shit is. It's like you, it's not, you know, have you ever gone to like a, see a great stand or like one of your favorite comedians, or you know, gone to an improv show and like you love it, but the person next to you doesn't, or you're seeing a comedian who you normally mm. love, and you're like, this is not working. What the fuck's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. doing good art, like you're trying shit out, you're doing things. Sometimes people like some aspects of it. Sometimes they don't. You got to be, you got to embrace that uncertainty. And, you know, sometimes that's part of it. It is. It, I, I enjoy the conversation, but I feel a lot better after writing an article um, than I do after doing a podcast. Um, yeah. I, you just I, know I, when it's done. You know when it's complete. You know what, you know yeah. what a, feel, a completed piece feels like. Yeah, and you've got that little adrenaline uh, buzz from having finally finished it and getting it out mm. there. Um, mm. And you, with a podcast, I'm just always after it going, oh, I should have said that. Oh, why did I say this? Oh, is that an issue that I said this? It's. <laughs> I think I might be a control freak, and that's why the podcast is a bit of an issue for me. And you're just 
uh, schooled in the world of improv and you're operating at the top of your intelligence Constantly. and you're you having epiphanies. Right now. Oh God. You and your, of my intelligence. You and your improv when we were in our early twenties living together and you're you know, Ethan did improv too, ladies and gentlemen, Ethan did a one one class uh, yes. at UCB and he didn't even go to his own class show. As I, recall. <laughs> I really should have. I had no yes, social. You really life. should have. I was like mad that you didn't go. <laughs> it's the capstone. There was a girl, I kind of had some chemistry with her, and I thought maybe there was something, and I didn't go to the show, and then she called me on New Year's, and that was the end of any sort of dynamic. I, there was nothing else, but I, yeah, it was, it, like, what was I doing? I had nothing wow. going on. So many things that could have been, you just listed yeah. right there. So many lives that you could have gone down. You know, it's all right, but this is, this is a, this is a format that you are, you're succeeding in. I think you're just getting in your head for some reason. I remembered she was a smoker and I thought, could I date a smoker? Like a heavy smoker? Is that something? I mean, what am I? I mean, like, in 2008, you know, 2008, 2009, I mean, you know, they're still. They're like, still... I have no moral issue against it. It's just, I, I don't know. I'm sensitive to smells. I, look, mm. it doesn't matter. I'm a very happily married man. I love how my life turned out. Um, you know, sliding doors could have gone a different way. <laughs> sliding doors, that movie. A movie I've actually never seen, but I know how to reference properly. All right, all right, all right. Well, come on. Ago, you, yeah. well, look, there's a reason that you're having. I mean, there's a reason we talk, yeah. Ethan. I there mean, other, well, other than like every day, <laughs> we like to yeah. call each other. For... I tend to call you when I'm on my way to daycare. <laughs> right, right. We do talk every day, but when we do the show, when we when we do this thing, we call syncing up. The main thing that we're we're talking about here is tech and media. Yes. And it's a big tech week. Yes, it's huge. This has been—I mean, I for me personally, as a, and so listeners know, I, who people who haven't listened to our show before, I uh, vehemently oppose Facebook. I think Facebook is uh, probably one of the the greatest evils to be launched on our society uh, mm -hmm. in recent memory. Uh, and so, for people like me, this week has been gangbusters. Oh yeah, no, you're. Some would say that you're falling for it. I think Glenn Greenwald would say that. We'll, we'll establish. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about that? We'll, we'll, we'll get Greenwald into all of that. But let's just talk about the theatrics. I want you to first give us the expository. There is a whistleblower. Um, right. A woman with some Nordic sounding name. Uh, <laughs> or Hagen. Hagen. She looks very Nordic, incidentally. She does. Um, That's true. And may the Nordic, Nordic save us. It's a Nordic whistleblower uh, mm -hmm. who is slides that show that Facebook is hiding how damaging it is. And she's been doing a media tour. It's all very dramatic. I, uh, if we're at the scene of the Congress, for instance, I almost wonder if we're going to get to the point where they're going to do a demonstration on one of these wayward children, the way that when we were kids, they would pour a bunch of Coca-Cola on a tooth. Uh, <laughs> oh, to show them now, now behold, now, ladies and gentlemen, Taking a perfectly normal child, a child, an all scored, American child. Hi, just ladies and gentlemen. Loves football, loves baseball, loves chocolate and Big Macs. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to put that child in a tank with Instagram. All that's in the tank is the child and Instagram. And watch what happens. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. And the child has killed themselves. And the child has killed themselves. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, 
30 seconds have gone by. We have lost an American. We have lost a young American in 30 seconds. Oh, 30 seconds. That child immediately became terminally anorexic, terminally, terminally a Trump supporter, terminally anti-Semitic. Just immediately died from any from, yeah. from just the briefest contact with Instagram and Facebook. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. We, we must ban this product. I, I like wasn't that. aware. I wasn't aware a teenager could join Antifa and QAnon simultaneously <laughs> at the same time. Honestly, honestly, though, I actually bet there are teen boys who are like whipping back and forth between those two things mm. on on these platforms because they're trying to find their identity in the worst in the in all the worst places. Mm. Yeah, I Francis Hagen by that. I can so buy for, that. Well, yeah, so so Francis Hagen which was this is a wonder this was a very fun thing. So I I was waiting with bated breath for 60 minutes yeah. this this Sunday. Let's establish I was to like, the audience. You you hate Facebook. It's right. your Carthage must be destroyed. But continue. Sure. Yeah, well, and this goes back because I I used to work for the Onion. I worked for I was a head writer for the Onion video. I worked for Funny or Die. These were like the these are websites, comedy websites. And when I came up, comedy if you wanted to get started in comedy, you were trying to get a job at a com at one of these comedy websites. And in particular for me and for my generations, because that's where I found comedy. You know, like obviously we watch stuff on TV, but all the cool shit was like the Onion News Network, which were Onions videos, which is like was a dream job to me that I got. I became a staff writer at the Onion News Network, made a bunch of cool shit that we put out on the Internet for free. And it was like high quality shit that everybody loved. They, you know, want a Peabody, you know, shit like that. And then the Internet like shifted. And, you know, I think there are certain arguments you can make about the evolution of how video works on the Internet and how people use it and mobile phones and all that sort of shit. But fundamentally, I think that there is a strong argument to be made that independent media institutions, comedy, journalism or otherwise, were effectively destroyed by uh, Facebook. And not just because it was a change in format, but because of pernicious monopolistic practices uh, and because of just, I don't know, basically... <laughs> turning all media into like a fast food version of media, uh, which I think has had reverberations through your industry as well, through many people's many industries that were only just beginning to sort of like get a sense of a rapid eroding of those things. Uh, but that was what kind of tipped me off to something being wrong here. And then in the intervening years, I think I've been following along with everybody else as we've realized that this is just the worst version of the internet. I actually think you coined it pretty well recently, Ethan, in an article. We used to live in a time of pure internet where mm. there was some version of the internet prior to this pure social media version of yeah. the internet. And I think pure internet was much supported much cooler things because it supported independent institutions whereas now everything is dependent on these large uh cumbersome in many ways platforms has anybody else come up with a term for that that epoch of internet uh the the internet before social media because i can't be the only one i've been trying to make fetch happen with some term i come up with all the time yeah always fail again and again i wasn't even trying this time i said it offhandedly is is that just the first time like anybody's pure coined internet. it? Yeah, yeah I like pure, pure internet. internet. I think it's a good. I mean, you know, pre-social internet is what people are saying, but that's whack. But yeah, yeah pure like internet. Pure... The, the days of pure internet, or just you know, two thousand and I don't know, two thousand three to two thousand and thirteen. Probably those mm. like ten years were kind yeah. of this before the algorithms really started kicking in hardcore. But after video could be supported yeah. online, it's funny. It, it's it's noted that 2013 is when the great awakening starts 
mm. but it's such a it, it that's only part of a bigger just mind fuck that happened um when we shifted from <laughs> pure internet to the critical mass of social media taking hold and it's an epoch that i mean you ask anybody and it's decisive now with covid and maybe you could say it tips the scales unfairly but you ask somebody and you say hey has life gotten better uh over the last decade um or maybe let's let's say over the last five years over the last five years mm -hmm. i mean nobody says yes no, and, and, chill, and like most of the, I mean, look, I follow the memes. I follow the comedy, you know, the kind of comedy that replaced comedy that was being made by people being paid to do it was like memes. And look, I, you know, I'm I was the first person to, to love memes, love memes. Uh, but all the memes being made by teens are about how they're all dead inside. All of them are constantly, I feel like I just saw a post recently or whatever shared, probably posted on one platform and shared on another and picked up by the one that I saw it on. That was like a professor noticed that all of the students like looked like shit and were dead inside. And so like stopped like a, I don't know, some sort of like language, like a, I don't know, it was like a Russian class or a, like a German class or something. It just had all the, the kids dance instead because the kids were all like, yeah, we're, we're fucking dead. We're all mm. like, we hate ourselves. All they're doing is staring at social media, which it truly, it's just like the worst interface for humanity that we've yeah. come up with. And there are now studies bearing this out. I mean, can you imagine like, you know, I was, I was thinking about today. I was, I was learning about stress today mm. uh, and telomeres and how stress literally shortens your life. Uh, it shortens the telomeres that are on your very chromosomes, which are the things that dictate when you begin to age. And there are studies mm. that show that prolonged stress will shorten those telomeres and shorten your lifespan and prolonged stress. There's no other way I can describe living in a social media, social media mediated world. There's like this lingering stress about mm. like using computers that you have to be on about if you're going to say something, if you're not, God forbid you choose to post my God. God. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot, just in my sphere where it really feels fraught. I, we never talked, I think on this, a podcast that we do twice a year about the <laughs> Bo Burnham special, uh, but yeah, I, I there, there are aspects of the Bo Burnham persona that I find annoying or aggravating. But what I love is that he takes this seriously. Yeah, he, he's not glib about this. Um, you hear people with blue check marks say, ironically, not seriously, they call it a hell site. Right. I think Bo Burnham goes, yes, it's a hell site. This Correct. is hell. We are this in hell. This is what hell is. This, this is, is hell. Yeah, this is actually bad. Like yes. What's happening is bad. No, right. this isn't just the Luddites are at it again and people always do this and they're dismissive of the new technology or they're scornful or they're worried and then we laugh at them looking back. No, this is a legitimate break and it's breaking us and it's spiraling. And yeah, I mean, I thought I, yeah, Inside I, was brilliant. Yeah. I, and I don't, I can't predict the future, so I don't know how we're all going to look back at it, but I am very sympathetic <laughs> to that perspective. And it doesn't, there's a, there's definitely a lot of Venn diagram overlap. I mean, I suspect I, we can yeah. maybe get out of it. Um, well, this somehow. is what was so exciting to me this week. I was like, you know, Facebook went down on Monday you know, after Francis Hagen, 60 minutes, the, the Facebook went down the very next day for, I don't know, like eight hours or something like that. And, you know, it was, I just kept imagining like, okay, what if it goes down for a week or two? 
and we actually get to experience life without it. it, it it's mm-hmm. like, what? why can't we institute some sort of holiday from this thing as a global experiment? We shut it down for a month and see how we all feel and like see what it's like to go back. We just experienced a rapid change in life with the coronavirus. And it was like something that was kind of crazy and interesting, but we were all down to do it because we had to, because we didn't want to die or whatever. But I wonder, you know, if we'd be down for grand experiments and a very, <laughs> very easy one would just be to shut well, yeah, that thing the, down for a month to see how we all feel. Because the coronavirus experiment was so pleasant in the end. And we have such <laughs> fond memories of how it all, how it all went. Um, and we're still not even out of it yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not as anti-Facebook as you are. Um, Facebook mm. doesn't cause any discord in my life. Uh, mm. It doesn't cause me any grief. I get annoyed. I find it annoying when I go on I, there. I, I, but that's actually, I, but that's fundamentally not true. The reason that you're doing what you're doing right now is because of Facebook. You're on Substack because of Facebook. Whether but, but I, but it's I, indirect, but, but whether I, you know it or not. But I would but I, very strongly contend that Substack is itself essentially a form of like... Uh, the cockroaches who are surviving the apocalypse is why Substack exists is because we've nuked well, the internet. Well, this Facebook is like trying to sell me on internet. This is like trying to sell me on factory farming's bad as I'm chowing down on a delicious ribeye. I mean, <laughs> I enjoy being on Substack. No, which I think, which is great. And I think you should, but all Substack is, is an RSS feed, which is something that we've had for decades, but it's where we've had to retreat to because the pure internet is gone. Yeah. In, in in past 10 years ago, you would have started a blog. You would have started your, you know, Vox, your Daily Coast, your, uh, you know, Drudge Report. Your, well, I guess Drudge didn't uh, do that. Daily Dish. You know what I mean? You would have mm. started a little website for your for to do exactly the same thing. Right. And this is what all those fucking guys say. Right. The, being on Substack, it feels like I'm I'm beginning my blogging career again, right? Yeah. Iglesias is saying that shit. Feels like I'm back at that, and that's because that's like exactly what this is. You could have done this for a long time. You can make more money doing it now because we finally figured out subscriptions, which is good versus yeah. having to do ad supported blogs and shit like that as before. So maybe it's good that we like went through that period to get to now. But if there was a functioning journalistic ecosystem for independent institutions on the wider internet, you wouldn't have had to retreat to, 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 to email, to emailing people. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying that it has this bigger effect beyond how miserable or pleasurable the site is to use. I'm just talking about, specifically this is my emotional connection with it where i i don't look at it as a hell site right i go on there and i see a lot of pro-social behavior i see a lot of people sharing photos of kids photos of babies puppies uh the way the way my mother-in-law uses facebook if everybody used facebook that way oh my god what a world we'd be living in where she's sharing pictures of my son and her friends are sharing pictures of their grandkids. And that's what they're talking about. Now, unfortunately it's not all Skittles and rainbows. I mean, I do go on there and the most annoying thing is just some sanctimonious lecture on politics from somebody I would never want to hear from. And when people say this, often they mean that they, they, they try to signal how sophisticated they are versus 
versus that person, that it's your uncle and it's Trump or whatever. But I don't want to hear it about anything, any fucking thing. Shut the fuck up. I, I Why would I want you talking at me about politics, trying to get me to do something when I'm on Facebook? I Why would I want that? I don't understand why you as an individual on this platform, just as a regular person, thinks that you're a voluntary public relations uh, worker. I, I find it aggravating. Just right, the, right. It, it, but anyway, no, no, saying. no, not anyway. Like I would, but like you're, I would say like you might be here blaming that person, right? You being like, why are you being like that, buddy? But to me, I blame Facebook for that behavior mm. because that's what the platform encourages. That's what the platform is for. That person is behaving that way because that's the way people are behave they, are, on that are, Is it encouraged, though? Because I look at them and they don't look like they're having a good time. It's just some no. argument in the comments. Right. I mean, but Twitter, that's the Twitter uh, this is the argument I'm trying to make. You could be right about the way Facebook has destroyed civilization. But as far as just the use of it, uh, person to person, I feel like Twitter is actually ma ma malevolent and demonic in a way that Facebook is not. Here's, you know, I, I don't think you're wrong and I would never argue against that. But I do think what I would say is that I think there are Facebook people. I, I think there are Twitter people. I think there's Reddit people. I think there's I think there are different kinds of people out there. The, the and only thing they have in common is that they're all terrible, terrible people. people. <laughs> they're all the worst people alive. <laughs> Every single one of them. No, and but you also, you know, many people have you have this in you too. There's the Twitter version of you, and then there's the Facebook version of you. There's the Instagram version of you. You've got your private Instagram where you post like food, food pictures and shit like that, right? Like those are all like different versions of you, and there's different people who, you know, like have different like capacities and max out in certain personality areas that lend them to being more mm. of those kinds of people. And I yeah. would admit I was a Facebook person. I really loved Facebook. I think yeah. that's is part of what drives this. And you know, Frances Hagen, the whistleblower, says the same thing. I, she loved Facebook. She, it, to me, it was the the platform of choice. I didn't understand Twitter. I still don't understand Twitter because, as you say, it's a hell site. It's bad. It encourages all the worst aspects of people. It seems like it, it maxes out in personality types that are people who become journalists for whatever reason. You people do what you do, but Facebook mm -hmm. was a much more pleasant experience until it turned, and I think it turned because of you know whatever because they wanted to make money because they wanted to do but because fundamentally i think they lost the script on what they were and yep. they became a publisher and not a social media website and i yeah. think that's what we're reckoning with right now yeah yeah they they needed to expand and then that changed what they were who they were and again i don't i don't dispute what you're saying on how this all happened but um, I also think sometimes it's a little much when they're insisting on this idea that Facebook is corrupting not our youth, but our olds, I suppose. And it's making people. I mean, don't you think it is? I think in pockets. Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, but I, I would have more questions on whether this is happening at a level that's beyond what wacky ass shit people believed. Uh, in the 1990s or in the 1980s. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's fair. But I think that it's giving these wacky people a tool 
to do things that they never could have done, you know, to magnify what they're doing in a way that they never could have done before, which, you know, leads to things like January 6th. Like it leads to things like genocides. In, in I, I find January 6th boring. So that's a, a I, bit of a rift. I, I look. I, I found it boring. I looked at it that day. I mean, we talked on the phone that day. I mean, I didn't find it totally boring. Uh, it was interesting. It was insane. Uh, but then I mean, it was once... very funny. I I think we agree yeah, it was that like it was more funny than it was terrifying. Yeah, it, it, it was but... like The Sopranos. It was, it, it, this is not a, a nice slice of humanity right here. Uh, what's happening doesn't auger well for society. <laughs> and yet I am laughing. Uh, at, at the malapropism. Yeah, but, well, but also, well, but then you know, but then you hear the stories of like the you know the fucking people who the the Capitol Police who are getting the shit kicked out of them by like you know who genuinely thought they were going to be killed by this raving mob of fucking lunatics. Like yes. that was very scary for those people. And again, look, I'm not you know whatever. This is a small, but but I guess people dealing with some shit, and it was yeah, on I'm the not, whole, it was crazy and funny. It totally was, but but genuinely. That yeah, shit was yeah. nuts. Come on. That shit was no, nuts. No, it was it was it was completely out of control situation and uh not good. I also do think <laughs> that good. it was Ethan Strauss. You know, January. It had some redeeming. I mean the Viking hat guy was very funny. Back. No, very I'm saying funny. it wasn't funny. I'm saying it was hilarious. <laughs> I absolutely think it was horrible. No, it was it, I think it, horrible things are horrible. It was bad. The thing I'm reacting to it's that it's that um line about how it's hard to have an appropriate level. It's hard to react in an appropriate manner when you feel like you're being manipulated into it. That's how I felt where it just seemed it seemed like in the aftermath hysteria kicked up to just 11 and we need you know, all it's just like this is our Pearl Harbor. Chuck Schumer said, "No, no, it's not. It's it really isn't. I mean, this is this is crazy." And there are nine eleven comparisons, and it's just this is too much. And there's an element of seizing upon it for political advantage because why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, but all right, but you can process it yourself, independent of all those people. You don't have to just take a. You don't have to feel about it the way you do because you're being contrarian to the way other people are feeling about it. You can just feel how you want to feel about it. Yeah. Well, I did feel the way I wanted to feel about it. It seemed like it was a bad, uh, thing. And, uh, (laughs) frankly frankly i I regret participating i I just right yeah which i think is fair and i think i'm actually glad you can finally say that on the podcast and and i do too the truth is i do too you know as the person as the person who held up that woman in in front of me who got shot like i feel bad oh god you're going there i mean i guess that's part of what i'm reacting to is the weird hypocrisy of the ways people react to a thing like uh, January 6th, but not to the other riots before. And it's totally just dependent on what you want to be true in the world and what you want the world's problems to be at this point, which is the scariest thing of all. This sort of sense of our sense of reality is entirely an act of curation and maybe not entirely, but it feels like it's 80% curation right now and 20% organic, whatever's happening. Well, but then now we're back at the feed. Who decides what's in your feed? Who decides what's ground yeah. up and and pull and poured into your feed trough and guzzle and like shoved down into your mouth? And the thing is, is it's these like faceless algorithms that are created by dispassionate organizations that just dial them to what makes them the most money, despite what they say. And that's what Francis Hagen 
was <laughs> was saying. That's why she leaked those papers, and that's what she's saying. She uh, so back back to back to her because, and this was incredible yeah. to me. I was so excited. The the leaks were fantastic. So you're you're the, you're a Hoggins stuff stand. Was going, Oh my you're god, a, yes, you're Hoggins. Well, stand. I was like, I can't. I was like, it was they were teasing that there were teasers for sixty minutes. I, I I couldn't believe how excited I was to watch sixty minutes. Like some sort of like old person like waiting for my favorite oh honey we've got to get the microwave dinner done in time to watch 60 minutes Mm -hmm. i couldn't wait i was telling my wife couldn't wait and there she and i was like my hero will be revealed and then there she was she and then she was clear-eyed about what she saw the i loved the criticisms that were being levied today by like facebook at her which were like she only worked there for a couple years she was doing this like that only speaks more to me she was mm-hmm. there for two years, and it that was all it took. It took, it took her like a year to be like, oh, you know what? I thought this place was fucked, but yeah, man, mm-hmm. this place is so fucking fucked. And then mm-hmm. she got out of it. That only speaks positively to me, to this person, that a rational person went to Facebook and only lasted a year before realizing it was irre- it was like ir- irreparably fucked unless somebody did something drastic like she did. And I thought what she did was comprehensive. So- her, her at the hearing today, she was very, she was incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly (laughs) nordic and knowledgeable and just very compelling and all the the response you know is basically that on both this is the thing bipartisan this is a bipartisan issue or it can be if we if we do this if we really do this right because this really is a large global evil that we're spreading from california this company facebook it's just so pernicious and they're assholes the people who work there are assholes and i just think fundamentally the people who mediate our who are who you are friends with who who create the interface for friendship i don't think those people should be assholes Mm. yeah i give me a lot to think about right there um not ideal for them to be assholes but was steve jobs not an asshole I mean, Steve Jobs yeah. is an asshole, and he created. Yeah, but he was. An, he was an, but he was an asshole in the way that, like, an artist is an asshole, which yeah. is, and like, you know, you know what I mean? Where like he, well, he had I, strong convictions. I, I here's he the here's the point. I'm wrong about things. He was bad to his family or whatever. But you know, even his products were not as like. Well, here's know, the point I'm trying to make. I I don't even know if it matters. I mean, it's you would want good people or people who weren't assholes in charge, but. I get the sense that Jack Dorsey's a pretty chill dude, that he didn't necessarily want uh, Twitter to be what it was, but it didn't matter. It took a life of its own on. And yeah, it's almost sure. it almost becomes a, a form of artificial intelligence that just flies off and does what it does. And it's very unpredictable. And I think this is a point of agreement that we have here. Uh, it's that these forces are too powerful. They're too powerful. People can people can tilt them in this or that direction, but they can never truly harness what's happening. And that's, I think, the ultimate lesson in it. And I think what's so difficult is you're not you're never just going to make them all go away. And if you do make them go away, you're going to have to replace them with something because See, now is, they're I've... now now they're just embedded into so many aspects of uh, aspects of life. So um I mean, yeah, so I don't think that's true. I think that's like a fallacy. I think that so I think that the difference between pure Internet and these things is the monopoly. It's it's the the, the yeah. difference is that what Facebook wants you to believe is that they are the Internet. Every defense that they make about you know what, what they do and what these I, places do. I, these I don't want to interrupt do. you, but I, I just sure. realized I just realized what I said was so stupid. No, you get rid of these things tomorrow. We'll be fine. 
It would be incredible. Yeah, it would feel amazing. It would feel like a spike being pulled out of your fucking brain. Yeah, but but I mean, but, but, still, I but could, just to take the take, Twitter's take good for me to raise awareness for the Substack. I would be hurting in that respect. But yeah, other than that, society, we'd be we'd be great. It'd be fantastic. Okay, here's here's what I think. Let me let me get to this. Here's what I really think, and I don't know I, because I do think Francis doesn't have the right solutions necessarily. I really don't think most people. You know, it's like we need to regulate them. We need to break them up. No one has a comprehensive solution. I have a comprehensive solution. Uh, and this is, and which it sounds like I'm setting up a bit in my mind, but this is like, honest to God, I, a real solution that I think that would, would, would work after thinking about this for a long time. And I think it's quite simple. I think it's that social media should be regulated such that there are no non-human profiles. There's no non-people on Facebook or Twitter that any profile has to be a person. So it cannot be a publication. It can't be a publisher. It can't, you can't have a page for, 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 you know, an interest group or, or for a celebrity or anything like that, that you, that these services can only be used by people and you cannot put money behind what somebody posts in order to boost it. Like those kinds of things are what throw the yeah. whole thing out of whack that it yeah. should just be aunts and, and mothers and mothers-in-law yeah. sharing photos of babies. And it should be accounts. This is, you know, this is what I like. So for Trump, I don't think you should Trump kick Trump off of Facebook. I think, Trump should be allowed to have a profile where he can have his like friend, a friend profile where he has his friends and he can post yeah. his photos, but there should be no Trump. I, I was about to say, was there Trump really, no, was he ever on Facebook? I mean, it, it, as just like friending people. As I'm just, just, like I'm just picturing him. I don't just know. Leaving mean comments on some, uh, right. just some thread. It's a he, stupid, stupid baby. Looks like a dog. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> it's uh yeah, he should be allowed to do that. I think, uh, I think once you introduce non-human profiles onto these things, it it changes the, the all of the incentives. It makes it so that you want to have a big profile, and the things that are big. It, it also what it does is it makes it so that you're sharing things from that are created on the site rather than sharing things that are created off the site. It's one thing to share a news article or a cool website or something you saw and link to it from Facebook. It's another thing for that page to exist on Facebook because that means yeah. that the algorithm I'm, can determine whether or not it gets boosted or not. I'm with you. I've always liked this reform. I, I like it. I think it's cool. Now, I, we, we, we agree on that. I think it, it got distorted once organizations could get on Facebook. It got yeah. weird. I think it's a good reform for Facebook. Twitter will leave for another day. I, I think that's unfixable. Instagram <laughs> is a whole other thing. But let's get to the critique. Let's get to the critique because you're okay. you're such a hog and stan right now. Um, you're 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 fanboying over here. I mean, she should never have like joined Facebook in the first place. You're you're into this idea. You're into this idea that maybe Facebook will be uh, laid low. It will be laid low. And I think the Glenn Greenwald argument that he wrote on his Substack yeah, right. yeah, is that these people in government, they don't want to destroy Facebook. They don't want to sap Facebook of its power. They want to be in charge of where the power goes. And that's a dangerous uh, situation. It's making the monopolistic hold even more threatening to society that they will as an alliance between i guess the ruling party right now is the democratic party and facebook uh are going to kick up the censorship and that this right now this pressure 
these interrogations uh, of Facebook. It's really just applying pressure so you play ball with us and you team up with us. What say you to that Greenwald critique? Why do you think it is incorrect? So, all right. There's so many things that are wrong about the Greenwald assessment of the situation. Uh, but I, so, but there's two things. One, it's just that his whole presupposition I think is wrong, that like, this is the way to regulate things. But I also think fundamentally his like reading of the situation at all, uh, uh, is wrong. So, but these are two different things. Let me, let me explain. So one, I think he's reading the room wrong just in general, because I really think that there are no friends of Facebook and big tech as far as like the, the way things are shifting right now on the Hill, I, as far as I can tell, it's towards, I think Biden hates these platforms. I think Elizabeth Warren hates these platforms. I think the people that they're installing Lena Khan, you know, at, at the FTC, I think these people want to break up at these companies. I think they don't necessarily, I think the other thing he's wrong about is as if anybody has any idea how to do that correctly the idea that there is any ideology that some hegemony has at all, whether that be politics, politicians or media figures or whatever, that anybody has a, an idea for how to fix this and is putting that forward and trying to push that, I think is wrong because the only thing that's clear to me is nobody has a plan, that nobody mm -hmm. has still yet described the elephant fully, you know, the, the, the blind man and the elephant idea. Yeah. Everybody sees one part of it. I think we've been spending the last five years finally describing the elephant, but still nobody has yet been able to fully do it in a way that there is even a comprehensive solution. So I think the idea that anyone's pushing anything right now is a, a an incorrect reading of the room because the only thing that's clear to me is nobody knows what to do, let alone knows which one would be better for their party or for their, so, for themselves in power. So you don't think that's a possibility that a political, pa a political party in charge um, could effectively work out a deal in secret. At, at this point, we're all so distracted and there's such little civic participation that it, I don't even know if it would have to be in secret. But in secret that, look, you scratch our back, we scratch yours, we're going to ease up, let you do whatever, but you have to censor on our behalf. You don't think that's a realistic that, that's a realistic outcome. I mean, people would point to the Hunter Biden story that was wiped from the social media platforms in the run up to the 2020 election that turned out to be true um, as an example of such a thing happening. So why the is that not a thing... why is that not a consideration here? Well, OK, here I'll give you I'll give you that argument because that's not, that did happen. What you're describing did happen between the Trump administration and Facebook. It's now been well documented that there were there was a dinner where that exact thing was brokered between the Trump administration yeah. and Facebook, that Facebook would ease up on would, would allow, you know, whatever Trump wanted to do to happen. So it was like a dinner that they had with Kushner and Zuckerberg and. Uh, and that they would ease up in exchange for Trump not regulating Facebook, for not turning an eye to them. And that that brokered peace lasted for probably three quarters of the Trump administration. So what you're saying it's did hilarious. happen last it's administration. Like, it's like Trump would even understand how to marshal the administrative power to regulate Facebook. 
yes, exactly. as the, the totally sure. empty but, threat. But, but the truth is, I don't think anybody still does. I still don't think anybody knows how to properly do it because nobody's wrapped their heads around how big and complex this thing is, including Facebook. That's what's so obvious is that nobody at Facebook understands Facebook. It's so big and beyond their control. And, and, and it's just they, the, the hubris that anybody would have to do that and to know how to wield it to their political advantage, I think is laughable. I, I think that the, that supposition also, this idea that we want to censor free speech on Facebook or whatever, we want to be able to pull off whatever we want. To me, all of that, you're already barking down the wrong path. Free speech doesn't exist on Facebook. I feel like we argue about this all the time. Yeah. Free speech exists on the on the internet. let's back up a little bit the, the fact that trump was even trying to broker such an agreement um and he's an ineffective user of power uh he's not good at it but the fact that he was open to it and trying to do it i do think reveals it speaks to what i'm saying that the incentive is there and yeah. it doesn't erase the possibility of a more competent uh accruer of power then saying, okay, I, this is, this is what I want. This is how to do it. I, and, the only, okay, here's why it's wrong. The yeah. only way to wield fa Facebook is a propaganda machine. That's literally what it yes. is. It was built so that anyone in power can pay to have their messaging spread far and wide as, especially if that messaging well is the, especially if that messaging is extreme in nature, right? And that's yeah. what a lot of those leaks showed. The Wall Street Journal showed political parties in Europe complained that Facebook forced them to take more extreme positions. And I don't mean Facebook the company, I mean Facebook the algorithm, that in mm -hmm. order to get engagement on their platform, they had to post and take more extreme positions, posting more extreme things that then became part of their platforms because what you say becomes what you do. That's how politics, I guess, works. Yeah, that was because of Facebook's algorithm. It changed how those parties were, made them more extreme and made them serve their constituents probably to the worst. And I think you can feel that same thing here. And so what we're seeing is not that Facebook can be wheeled by anyone to do anything. It's that Facebook can be wielded by propagandists to yeah. divide people and to make people more extreme. So if that's what you want to do, then yes, you can use this tool for that. But this is a hammer. And what you're describing is using Facebook as a screwdriver as something else as as a more effective like censorship machine for somebody you know to do this like surgical precision of like this speech good and this speech bad and yeah. you know maybe it was used a little bit like that in, in the last couple of years for but coronavirus you think, things or whatever you don't think, but i think like, broadly, let's come up no. with a, well let's come up with a hypothetical scenario this is purely hypothetical you know i'm in charge my party's in charge i meet with zuck and zuck goes I just, I'm a huge fan of you. I love you as much as uh, Emperor Augustus. I just love you. <laughs> I'll do anything you want. Um, and me into the vomitorium. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you don't think that if I, as the ruling party in power, had Zuckerberg and had Facebook doing whatever I wanted, you called it a propaganda machine, um, basically being my chief propagandist, that, that that would not be good for me to maintain my power, to maintain no, my no, popularity. I, I think 100% it would. 
I think 100% it would. But I think that the cabal that Greenwald is, is, is claiming exists in order to do this, that simply, I don't, that one, even if that cabal exists of this like media machine plus the liberals in power, that those are the ones who are leveraging along with tech. Does that make any sense to you that media wants to team up with big tech Along with politicians, all of these things are foes. Media hates Facebook. Media wants it gone because it's been destroying them. And I think that that I, so it doesn't make any sense to me that media would be wanting to use Facebook to censor people. Well, I think he was in order to gain their. I don't power. think that's, that's the crazy. dynamic. I don't think that's necessarily the dynamic as he sees it. Um, I think he then sees it, it to me because that's what I read. I think he sees. Um, prestige media in the Democratic Party as part of the same thing. Um, and that's something people can argue about, but that's certainly not a that's not a crazy position. I mean, what do we think that most people okay, in the New York fine. Times? Uh, you know what? I'll take that. Whatever. I don't I mean I don't agree with it. Whatever. I'm, Why would I'm, prestige media prestige again? Prestige media is directly opposed to Facebook. I'm I'm just continuing down the line of it. Okay. So you've got an alignment between prestige media and the party in power. And so those two groups are effectively wanting Facebook to cede its power and its tools and its capacity to them. I think that's the dynamic as he's describing it. I think that it is correct that prestige media has been losing, you know, airtime, media time, ad dollars to Facebook, and they do want to leverage the, the they do want to leverage the government in order to restrict uh, social media. I, mm. I could see that being the case. Even still, we're talking about the business people at those places. And not necessarily they're the handful of journalists who cover this stuff, who are the ones that opine on this, mm. right? Like, so that's like a slight separation of the business interests of those, but even still like, so, but what you're, so, but what you're saying is different. Having Facebook lose their power is different than saying we want Facebook to censor more things. That would be an increase in Facebook's mm. power. Right? I think you're getting you're wanting to think, give more power to Facebook or OK, you're saying we, I think we're getting we, caught a little bit on the censorship, the specific censorship issue, because I agree with you. It's it seems like it's a rather complicated operation to run to try to censor everything happening on Facebook um, in whatever particular direction. But I think and that's the, literally what Glenn Greenwald is saying is yeah. that the press is the are the ones forcing Facebook to censor things. Well, or maybe what he's saying is that the press wants things censored more so because the press is threatened by the kind of populist fervor of people talking amongst each other and they don't like it and they're threatened by it and they don't want people to be allowed to do that. And or, they want to be the arbiters of the information. They don't want these people these peasants, these serfs to be the ones who uh, are deciding what they think amongst themselves. I think that's the other component. But I think, I mean, you've got a good point there that the 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 censorship, the wielding of censorship, I don't, I we brought up Hunter Biden before. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that the suppression of that story moved the needle in any way in that election. I think it was scary that those companies did that. Um, I don't think it was, it, we, we talk about, uh, and I'm not making an analogy to, I'm not making an analogy to one, one six or capital riot, but I, I look at it and I go, yeah, that's bad. What happened right there? That there is a mass censorship campaign, uh, by the biggest monopolistic companies. Um, that's, that's, that's bad. But do I think that it's particularly meaningful? I don't think it swung the election. So I think that speaks to what you're saying that these attempts at censorship still maybe thankfully, I don't think are that effective, but I still think that the propaganda tool could be useful without it having to be censorship. You see what I'm saying? That if the propaganda yeah, tool, is. if the propaganda tool is working for my party, if we have an agreement, um, you can blast out my message to everybody with a Facebook account um, in a way that my opponent will not be able to do. You know, there are things you can do to help me maintain my power, my popularity that are not censorship based, that make an alliance between the ruling party in power and the biggest tech monopoly uh, scary. <laughs> you no, know, no, but you don't, this isn't hypothetical. This is happening all over the world. This is what's happening, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the Rappler, right? The story of the Rappler, right? Duterte has been doing, wields Facebook in this exact way. He censors journalists by imprisoning them and then makes it so that they, you know, deleting their ability to use Facebook. And then he floods the zone with all of his shit. Bolsonaro does the same thing. Trump was doing the same thing. Like, yes, yes, you can. And literally it's a machine to do what you're talking about. But yeah. I really, but it's, but that's what the regulation we're talking about is trying to stop. Like, that's what people are trying to stop so right you now. Are, you are fundamentally not, them. you are fundamentally not cynical. I mean, that's, that's what I'm wondering is like, how are you in, and I defer to you on a lot of this because I don't follow it with the level of granularity that you do, but you're, you're surprisingly uncynical about it all. Uh, Why would the Democrat, if the Democrats wanted to wield Facebook as a propaganda machine to do what they want? Why wouldn't they just continue to use it as it is? Why would they want to use, why would they want to regulate it at all? Why would they want to regulate it at all? Well, I think I because think it's the already being. But I think the Greenwaldian. For... But I think the Greenwaldian argument would be that that's the threat that we're going to regulate you. Uh, we're going to make life tough for as you. As far you as I can tell, the people that they're putting in to regulate it are people who are fucking serious about regulating it. Mm. And you're right. Maybe I'm an optimist. Maybe I'm uncynical about this. But this has been fucking years that we've been talking about this shit, and finally something's happening. And, mm. and, and yeah, maybe it won't be as good as what I want to happen. But the alternative to not do anything, what like what? Okay, what like what else could happen right now other than what is happening right now to show mm. me that there actually finally is regulation happening? There was a bipartisan fucking committee meeting today but the republicans and democrats ted cruz was loving was fucking loving hagan you know like it, it was like it, we were all we all agree there's a problem here and to me it's about getting to the most root level of the problem so that we can all agree that this is how you root it out and to me let's take the hunter biden example what it shows to me was the incompetence of these platforms as being a place that mediates free speech and journalism they agree they simply shouldn't be doing that and what we should have are a bunch of independent media organizations that can you know survive by their own merits and advertising dollars or subscriptions 
factions that live out on, on newsstands or the you know the the, the the you know the digital equivalent of that just websites that they should be able to control their destinies on the free speech of the internet and not have to deal with this fucking interloper with this intermediary mm. facebook that makes them all play by their by their rules and in fact is killing them all in favor of you, you the other thing that we found from these fucking leaks that was to the, the shit that i thought was the funniest was that like what if we replaced you know the comedy websites what if we replaced journalism websites with the top 10 with meme accounts right with like public interest accounts and i don't know if you saw this but it was like eight out of the top 10 like black interest accounts like accounts that posted like basically accounts that were stealing memes about the black community for the black community from instagram accounts and other meme accounts and posting them on facebook and we're getting like racking up tons of engagement eight out of those 10 were run out of eastern europe they were huh. troll farms the top 10 christian meme accounts on Facebook, the top 10, like, you know, I love Jesus as like a page that you follow, uh, you know, whatever Christian values or whatever, I, you know, th those kinds of websites that, you know, fucking boomers follow or whatever. The top 10 of those Christian insert sites were all were all fucking troll farms out of Russia. That's what Facebook is creating. That's the media ecosystem that they're creating. That's the free speech that lives on Facebook. And I think you can't look at that and not see this as detrimental to our whole fucking media world. Yeah. Well, I, I again, I like your reform where everybody on Facebook has to be a person. And that's just the deal. That's it. I, and I, a I, lot of those yeah. people will still be fucking annoying I, for sure. Yeah, they'll, they'll be super annoying. And so fucking. but they're annoying anyway. Uh, <laughs> I God, it's they're so annoying. Why? Why? I mean, this is maybe this is another essay, but the sort of urge i think it's often born out of a good thing that people want to do something yeah I want, I and it's nice do... that they're paying attention or whatever i guess like, or they think they are um well but the, this is the rabble that you want to be the ones who are the the, the proletariat the proles that you think like deserve to be running media are these because that's who's going to do it the people who are unemployed enough to have the time to take up the yeah. mantle yeah, like, I, no I, offense I, to these no, people, I, no, like, I, I there's a reason that journalism is a fucking profession. No, I, 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 I get that. I have some populist sensibilities, but not all the way. I, I do think that <laughs> I'm still an elitist heart. That's that still no. One I merely only needs American. to look at the words no. I use in my articles to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have talked about how public opinion is so out of sorts with uh, media opinion and sometimes in conversations uh of a friend who asked me well are you just a majoritarian because majorities of people have believed terrible things uh, across history and i think my position on it is this i'm not a majoritarian purely i want whatever i think is the best idea to happen regardless of whether a majority is in favor or not but i think you need to be aware of what the majority is and increasingly we're slipping into a territory where many of the people dictating policy and creating uh, strict cultural norms have no idea whether any of it is popular or well subscribed and i think that's a that's a precarious situation so i'm an awareness of the majority guy um and that's the primary concern i think to run a society effectively you need to have an understanding of where people are at not just constantly 
dictate it in an authoritarian manner, but I'm not in charge of anything, Matt, unfortunately. So whatever's <laughs> no, going to happen, going to happen. I, I, no, I feel you. And I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, well, here's a question. It's like, well, this is my question about Glenn Greenwald, for example, or whatever. Yeah. It's like, how addled are people? Like, we're starting to really enter like a decade of people being addled by Twitter and addled by these things. Mm. And you could say that policymakers are, you know, whatever. That's what they kind of thought was one of the reasons why like Elizabeth Warren's campaign didn't work out was because they were too Twitter focused and Biden didn't focus on Twitter, you know, but like how, how now that we're a, a 10 years on and people are maybe permanently addled by these platforms, like how do you, how can you tell when someone is so addled that like you need to like take that bias into account? Cause reading that Glenn Greenwald piece today, that's how I felt about him. I was like, dude, you are a hammer seeing everything as a nail right now. And mm. it, you're not reading this room correctly. And you're not really taking this in for what it is. It's funny because I read it and I thought, oh, provocative argument. That, that was my take. <laughs> so yeah, provocative argument. Yeah, maybe. I mean, possible. <laughs> Look, I, I really do want to defend hot takes. And I'm more than happy for people to be saying the things that they are. I, I, I would it, never advocate for him not to say those things. But I will say, I'm worried about him. <laughs> I mean, he's, but he's always had one mode. I, I don't, I don't worry about him. I think he's the, the same Greenwald. He's the same Greenwald. He's doing his Greenwald thing. And he's a little like Christopher Hitchens in that, uh, so enjoyable when he's on your side of an argument and just so annoying and aggravating when he's not. Um, <laughs> Very different dudes with different politics, but dude, me and Julie were rereading Hitch's uh, like why women aren't funny. (laughs) That dude, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever fucking. In fairness, that guy was drunk twenty four seven, so you need to allow some unreal. I think that's why he supported where he. I think that's why he supported the Iraq War. He was just wasted. (laughs) He's too drunk not to. Yeah, he's a brilliant, yeah, no, he's a brilliant writer. You could write those columns he, impeccably. I, mean, he, I don't know, man. I mean, he wrote was... those columns in 15 minutes. I mean, people would say that he was he was incredible in that way. And the dude uh, was saying that women get less funny after they're pregnant because their neurons move from their brains into <laughs> their into their spine, and that makes them less funny. <laughs> like I said, that's, that's on par with. I remember when I was in college reading a thing that. Uh, oh man, it was Aristotle believed. This is one of my yeah. favorite things that Aristotle believed. It was like uh, that the reason why women were smooth, mm. why women's skin was smoother than men's skin was because their roughness came out in their menses. Ah, yes. Aristotle, Aristotle was wrong about so many things. <laughs> and I'm sure a smarter person could tell me why we revere him and cite him, but it is really well, he was just comical. The first person to be wrong about this. He was things. the first person. <laughs> it's it's not quite Freud level, but I love those people in history where we talk about them a lot and study them endlessly. And by the way, every theory was completely fucking insane. And Can I tell you it, one that I just learned about? I was learning about the moon and mm. the history of the moon. The first, I can't, his name escapes me, uh, Agonaxonus or some shit. The first like Greek dude to believe to like look at the moon and be like, you know, I think that's a rock. Mm. Uh, and not a god he was exiled and murdered the first guy to say that (laughs) well this okay so we can bring this uh full circle in a way because i'm teasing out this thought um and i i'm going to eventually write about it i sometimes think that this mediated world this social mediated world that we are in right now is terrifying it's psychologically unhealthy 
Uh, we were declining as a society. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when you point certain aspects of it out, people get angry at you Mm -hmm. because they're just trying to maintain and just kind of keep hold of the curated reality that they're given and the offense is puncturing it. Even if that curated reality isn't even good, you're, you're undermining it. You're undermining it in a way. I mean, I, I, I just, it's, uh, this might be the worst comparison or the worst analogy, but, um, like, like a friend of mine was joking about how, the NBA player vax rate is bullshit. I think they say it's 98%. And the way that it's done is that the team's head trainer for a lot of these teams is the guy who determines whether your vax card is legit. So (laughs) I don't know what the real rate is, but I, and I saw this guy is getting trashed and he's getting, he's getting uh, mocked and dismissed for, for questioning the vax rate. And I just think to myself, well, that's the reality that this cohort of people wants to be true. You know, we've got this kind of this mechanism for I just want something to be true. And that's all that matters now, because everything is just existing in the abstract and we're trying not to go insane. Hmm. And with that, as you respond to me, I'm going to go to the next room and get my power cord. (laughs) Stay powered up. Well, I would say the thing that I feel that that makes me think, I mean, that particular example kind of throws this a little bit, but this idea that saying these things, challenging that the world that we see through social media is like good, or is even something that, you know, we should be taking seriously or whatever. To me, why people get angry in some ways is it reminds me of addiction. It reminds me of telling somebody that they're addicted to alcohol or they're addicted to something and they don't want to hear it. And I do think that there is a component of, and maybe, you know, that's, it's, we're, we get very quickly addicted to the worldview or to the world as we have been able to manage, as you say, like, and grip onto the reality that we can. And I do think that there, that was, that's my feeling of whenever you, whenever you perform or post something is that you're, you're performing for the addicts, you know, it's like doing a comedy set to a bunch of like nodding heroin addicts in an opium den, you know? And I wonder if that's, if that's related to sort of what you're, what you're saying here. (laughs) Your mic is completely cut out. Ethan, can you hear me? Your mic is completely cut out. (laughs) Now I get the last word. Uh, welcome to House of Kleinman, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Matt Kleinman, and uh, I'm, I'm taking it over. Today, uh, we, every episode is about a question, and today's question is... Uh, <laughs> it's just gone now. And today's question... Today's question, audience, dear audience, today's question is... Yes. Why? Today's question is... Testing, testing, testing. Why is Ethan such a... Why is Ethan such a selfish piece of shit? God damn it. (laughs) Why isn't this working? No, you're good. You're good. Okay, thank God. Thank God. Okay, so yeah, the thing that you said... Maybe I'm seeing this through the prism of what I'm experiencing to a degree. I, I try to do so much filtration of what people say to me, Matt. Um and just 
Twitter. I, I don't use it. I don't really participate. I've been considering maybe participating, but I, I really hate it. And is it weird? Okay. I'm just going to be raw and emotionally honest here. I don't know how to take how angry people get at me. I, I, I really don't know how to take it. I don't know what to make of it. Some of these people are people in my social milieu. They're not just random freaks. They're people with followings. They're people in media. And I see a level of anger conveyed that it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. It's it's just really hard to to make sense of. And I'm just often trying to make sense of things. And I look at it and I think, yeah, maybe I say some some controversial shit, but I'm not by and large on this medium attacking people. I wouldn't do what I see so frequently where uh kind of subtweeting people or trying to get people not to read somebody, all this stuff that I see. And I just don't I don't know what's going on and I do often see it and I do often, I have to say it's very self-serving, but it just looks unhealthy to me just that anybody would be so angry at me. I mean, I'm not very important. I'm a waste of time. And I, when I see that, I just wonder, I wonder what's going on, especially when it's people where I've been cool with them and I've had a positive dynamic that they're, they're choosing then to have a very negative dynamic. I, I just don't, I don't know how to process it all, Matt. And maybe it's not to be processed in this broader conversation. It's a distraction, but no, no. Yeah. Well, uh, here, let me let me throw something at you. Yeah, which is that I don't think people understand what it means that you're a writer. I think that what these platforms have done is they flattened out everybody to the point where there is no difference. The people don't can't tell the difference between a writer and an activist and a politician and a comedian mm. and a newsman, you know, or newswoman. Let's turn into that they, Everlast song. <laughs> people don't know now what it's like <laughs> to be. But if they were to walk a mile in your Substack shoes, uh. but they don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like. They don't. They don't know what it's like to be. But do you know what yeah. I mean? Like I think that. You so I disagree with you know our whole friendship is based on disagreeing. Well, that's with a, each look, that's other. what's so str- but that, that's what's you. so strange about it. I, like you write something and yeah, I think you it's like wrong, yeah. and I just call you and yell yeah, at you, yeah. and we're friends. Well, exactly, but that's the thing. It's that you don't like you you disagree with something I wrote. You call me up, and obviously there are different perspectives on whatever I'm talking about, and obviously I could be wrong, but just the level of kind of anger and attempts at ostracism and everything that, that that goes into it from people in my industry. And I don't even really think I'm saying anything that, that extreme or that crazy. And I, I just look at it. I just don't know how to process it. I mean, I feel like a fairly psychologically healthy person is as inconceivable as that might be to people. And especially to you, because you're watching me in my Ted Kaczynski garage, uh, recording this. Yeah. You, you audience at home, you have no idea how horrifying. <laughs> Ian's garage um, is. but that is, that is giving me again, I have trepidation when it comes to just bringing up my own shit. And I, I have concerns about, you can fall into those narcissism spirals of people are saying this to me or doing this to me. I want to establish that I'm very lucky. I'm very happy. 
but I, I, it is giving me more cause to think about it because I think I have had more colleagues and peers and cohorts making extravagant displays of ostracism against me of late, something I would never do. And it's just making me wonder things such as, well, are they the same people and I'm crazy because that's kind of how they're acting. And yet I just feel like they're acting so crazy. Right. I see. Right. So it's not just, I, I, yeah, no, but, but I mean, I think still it's like, this is the same shit that I say all the time. We all are. Twitter is a magazine that we're all writing for. Mm -hmm. Right. But for other, for everyone thinks that magazine should be something different. Right. And so when somebody is writing something and it's not on Twitter, but it's like something linked to Twitter or whatever, they, these are Twitter people who believe this stuff. If it's not, if it's not fit for what they see the magazine to be, they get mad. And this is because there simply aren't different. It mm. used to be there were different magazines for different kinds of people. And, you know, you would pick up, you know, one of these magazines that was maybe not for you, but it was interesting because it was people who had a different take than you. And you wouldn't get furious yeah. at those people for doing that because you understood, well, you know, that's how those people over at uh, Puck are. Yeah. Or whatever. I guess that was just rebooted. But well, like, this is or, or spy magazine. Oh, those are just your the spy magazine folks being spy. You're, you're dovetailing with my reservoir versus buffet philosophy, um, mm. where I I just tend to see, I tend to see a lot of ideas from an individual, for instance, as a buffet. Yeah. You know, oh, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. I want some of that. That's great. Oh, the gulab jamun, delicious. Let's go with that. Um. Oh, I don't really want that that cucumber salad. Just, don't don't want that. Not into it. Forget about that one. Ooh, the pasta salad. Don't want that. Ooh, but look at right. this. So obviously, then you take to Twitter and you decry the entire buffet as being disgusting. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> even though you liked most of the things well, there, but you didn't like well, the cucumber. That's what salad. I'm saying. To me, that's logical. If I'm yeah. looking at a thinker, right? But it seems right. like the conversation is often dominated by people who view it as a reservoir where if there's something bad in it, the entirety of the water supply is contaminated and must be disavowed. Um, right. And I don't, I don't see it that way, but that is how people tend to talk about it. I think it's stupid. Like why act like that's the case? I don't think, yeah, it's well, I, you know, they want the whole thing to be, they want all people to be, aligned i guess again for just the purity of the magazine i don't know why because also, also the problem is that any of those people also the problem is these people would like to just drink pure unadulterated liquid shit uh and think it's great <laughs> but yeah but you were saying well but the, but i think if you ask any educated person who's like a writer who's in one of these fields like hey do you think that you know do you like having discussions with people who disagree with you they'll say yes <laughs> they like that everybody does but then suddenly it happens Happens and they're like, holy shit. And I, and I think that there's a dip. I think part of it is because you can go on a slippery slope with maybe some things, some ideas and be like, well, if you keep going down this train of thought, then this leads to this, that leads to this, that could lead to this, that could lead to a political yeah. idea that could lead to a law that could yeah. lead to something that discriminates against well, somebody the, or that does something. The, the neuroticism of the professional class right now is this idea that any spark can become a flame. And the problem is that they're not wrong. I mean, ideas spread sometimes and uh, it goes from little to big and somehow you need to understand that and not be completely controlled by your fear of such a thing happening um, in a bad way mm -hmm. uh, because it just makes you 
this officious hall monitor on on all things and i mean i often look at it, i just wrote i don't know if you read it but i was writing about how i saw a lot of anti-semitic conspiracy theories or heard them in nba locker rooms when i was a beat writer and one response to all of that is oh my god this is very dangerous especially when there's a player like stephen jackson a former player shares one you know this can become something that's more widely subscribed to and yada 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 and it, my feeling is more I, i'm not going to worry about that i'm just not going to worry about stephen jackson I don't know, creating the next Hitler. I, like maybe, <laughs> maybe, but if I'm worried about that, I'm worried about everything. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, but you're talking to a guy who loves crazy. I thought you were going to say Hitler. Who loves, <laughs> you know, you're talking to a guy who loves Hitler. So you're telling me there might be a black Hitler? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> That's another Everlast song. I, black <laughs> Hitler. White black Jesus. Hitler. Black Jesus. <laughs> White Jesus. No, 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 no. Hitler was white. That's the thing. Hitler was white. And he killed a lot or of my So they want you to Hitler. believe. Yes. That's how they control you. That's how they control. But when archaeologists rebuild his face, Hitler was actually. That's how they control us, whites. They lay that guilt trip on us and lie to us about who Hitler was. <laughs> but the truth is, Hitler was the most Jewish man of them all. <laughs> and the blackest. Yeah. Oh, it's nice to be on Substack. Don't edit any of this. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But but I think like, uh, but yes, right. Like people believe crazy things, but they're those are basketball players. They're not politicians. You're a writer. Yeah. You're not a politician. I think if you switched, if you started well, running for office, if you started trying to accumulate power and, you know, maybe you can't blame people because there are big journalists who like court their influence in political sphere. Well, that's the thing. Like Le LeBron has a slogan slip into something like that. It, sure. LeBron has a slogan more than an athlete and everybody's trying to use their platform. <laughs> and uh, so they're kind of buying into the premise that they can make a difference and, and matter. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's again, it's too much to worry about. Yeah. You can potentially matter. Uh, you can potentially influence the conversation as a celebrity, but 99% of celebrities did everything they could and said everything they could in 2016 to try to not get Donald Trump elected. And, and it still happens. So I, I don't know if we should be fretting all the time and policing everybody's honest opinion, because that's ultimately the cost of this is in, in trying to prevent the bad thing from gaining steam, like a snowball, wait, no a snowball rolling down the hill doesn't gain steam, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, it's hate steam. If hate steam. The snowball rolling downhill would hate steam. The you, most. you start just melt. You start just enforcing these codes of conduct that don't allow people to be honest, and that's that's my main thing. I, 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 I you just love. Honesty. I love honesty. I think honesty loves honesty. Love honesty. I don't believe in noble lies. Raw honesty gets off on your raw, honesty. <laughs> raw, unadulterated, wet, raw honesty, wet honesty. Yeah, honesty. Um, there is a musk to it. You know, um, mm. it, but I, me smelling honestly. I just think I was smelling we can't honestly. we can't solve pro we can't solve problems if we are just suppressing our true beliefs all the time. That's a disaster. That's yeah, sure. But also, is any of this actually happening, or is it just a bunch? Was it was just like a dozen or so people on Twitter. 
Like, you know what I mean? Uh, like, is this real or is this just fucking Twitter people? I mean, it's... Is this just adult people biggest... on Twitter? Or do most people actually understand the nuances? No, it's clear that people are on. terrified of getting fired now. It's 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 reached critical mass. But uh, the biggest applause line in the new Dave Chappelle special, um, where he did about... It felt like an hour of trans humor, which was just sort of fascinating. Oh, really? It's fascinating. I mean, it was just... Because it was, it was, he goes back to it. It was like one of those things where... Um, the the joke almost changes shape when the comedian keeps doing the same joke over and over again. You don't know when it's gonna because he goes back to that well, and you're like, oh, he's going back to it, and then it was that was like the next hour. <laughs> it was really kind of a big. Anyway, anyway, I'm getting distracted. The biggest applause line was when he said Twitter is not real life, and the crowd went crazy for that. Mm. I don't know what to make of that. Maybe you need to see the context of it. But that that was interesting to me because is that because they resent that it's kind of become that and it's crazy? Is that what that is? I think people hate the tyranny of these things. Yeah. I, I think that they're the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these things are much more powerful than they should be and, and much more powerful. And you know what I mean? And they have a grip on people's psyches. This, again, this low level stress that we all feel because of these things, even if you, you know, I don't know, I'm a very, you know, you know me, man, I'm an extremely progressive and like liberal dude. Right. And so like, I, you know, most of the, probably the most progressive of people would agree with the things that I, you know, believe or whatever. But like, you know, there's always this like low level of stress when you post something like, oh shit, will somebody read it a different way than what yeah. I meant? Will somebody assume something than what I did? You know, you're constantly like double and triple checking things because you see people get misread or you see people get, you know, because there is no context there. It's just like, easy for pot shots. It's, it, it, but, and, 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 and so then that leads people to go down kind of these paranoia spirals uh, uh, of, you know, what if this, what if that, what if, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, or just kind of like live vicariously through other people, even if you're not a public well, figure, whatever, you know what? Fuck it. So Twitter sucks. These things just suck. Yeah. And people hate the things that suck are rule are in power right now. And that's all to me. That's all you need. Like, so just delete all these fucking things and let's figure out how we all feel. Actually. So I don't know how to psychoanalyze this map, but I don't read anything about myself on Twitter at all. <laughs> Like it's I don't, great. I mean, I, I get notifications if, if I follow the person, but that's it right. with the exception of when I'm trying to write deep in the middle of the night and I feel I'm, I'm feeling myself getting sleepy. Sometimes mm. I'll name search myself because it will mm. kick me into a fight or flight and it will wake me up who keep you up <laughs> and it will also give me a little motivation of like oh fuck you then i mean you know yeah fuck the yeah i gotta prove them wrong i mean i i i hope that's not doing anything bad to my brain i i hope well i mean if that's how you write then that's how you write that's fine i mean i don't know i've i've made the mistake of like waking up in the middle of the night and like checking twitter or something like that and then i spend the next like two hours like going down in a deep hole about you know reading all the facebook slides or whatever yeah and then being too angry to but, go back to sleep but, but like... i don't think that you i think it's fair to say that more people hate me than hate you i, I would say that yeah i don't think anybody knows to hate me but and but still, mo well, most people by like, the end of this podcast, I think we'll, uh, you know, we've accomplished <laughs> that. Yeah, I pray. Yeah, bring it on. You Hendrix. had your chance. No, know, you know, I gave you the I, opening I with the Chappelle and the trans stuff. You guys like, oh, I love that trans humor, doc. <laughs>
You had your chance. No, you had I, your opening. I, I love no, no. I love my 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 trans friends and relatives. My uh, my niece wow. transitioned recently, and I just saw another good friend, someone uh, who's old. Who's I, I'm honored to be to be a friend of mine who's an older comedy writer who uh, transitioned recently as well, and it was wonderful hanging out with her. I don't know. This is I whatever Chappelle be damned. I don't know. I think more people are. COVID, I think, has really, you know, kicked people into gear as far as like seeing who they are and what they want to do. And I think a lot of people are following that that impulse and that feeling that that's who they really are. And I, I don't know. Chappelle you know, was I, doing like, that. I mean, the, the, the funniest thing about the routine is that he starts describing himself as transphobic like it's a disease like alcoholism, like he wants to do better. <laughs> and but he can't <laughs> help <laughs> Yeah, well, he's always interesting. Um, I don't know. Fast forward five years and Chappelle is transitioning. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you put the bug in the ear, you know, I, I who knows? But yeah, I, I, I don't know. There's no manual on how to deal with any of this stuff or uh, what to do. I, I know you have your ideas. You have your manuals. I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious that it will somehow make things worse, but I'm also very sympathetic to the argument that doing nothing is just continuing down this path that, that is making everything worse. So, yeah. So I think we, so, well, I don't well, know. We do both you, are you saying Caesar, that you don't think we both endorse a brutal Caesar taking over and destroying the social media companies. I mean, I don't know what the trade-offs will be uh, when that happens, but you know, we yeah. endorse. Well, I don't think so. Fundamentally, I don't think there's much for us to disagree on here. I think that like, right. We just want to get, well, I, I'm more sympathetic <laughs> to Greenwaldism. I'm, I'm in favor of your rule that everything on Facebook must be a person, but I do have more cynicism about, um, about the regulatory play. And I do have more trepidation regarding the possibility of, of I want to be very clear eyed about something. Yeah. I want to be very clear eyed about something. I do not fetishize and romanticize the media landscape that existed prior to this. I do love pure internet, but I loved it because it was this transitionary period that it felt like between cable, cable dominated cable and newspaper news world. Yeah. And it really felt like we were making some cool shit on the internet and we were making shit that was like impressively good for being online. We were all being exploited and paid nothing, but it felt like we were transitioning to like a better, to like at least to something. But I, I think what sucks is that what we ended up getting was probably worse than the cable and like elite media dominated world. It's like, yeah, I hate that shit too, but honestly that shit was better yeah. than this. Yeah. Shit. You know what it reminds me of? Um, I went on this art tour. I went on a street art tour in, um, in, in, in Paris. I went on a street art tour in Paris on my honeymoon. One of the, one of the days of my honeymoon. And cause I love street art. And I think it's very cool. And this was like an expert who was taking us around and showing us like all this, you know, cool street art all over the fucking things or whatever graffiti. And I was talking to the guy and he was kind of a jaded, like street art kind of, I don't know. I don't know the critic or whatever you want to call him. I mean, he was running like a free, you know, a donation based art tour or whatever. Interesting guy. Uh, and I was kind of asking him, you know, I was talking to him like, so is it really like cool that like, you know, all this stuff is like the vanguard of art and street art and all that sort of stuff. And like how cool this is and how the scene is. And he was like, you know what? Not anymore. At this point, the people doing street art, you know, cause it's had its 
Banksy, this is, you know, 10 years after that kind of stuff, yeah. 10 years on now, I think most of the really interesting and provocative stuff is in galleries. And what people are doing when they're posting on the street is they're making mainstream stuff to try to get popular among mm. uh, the populace because you can, you know, it doesn't cost anything to post something here. So you do kind of like hearts and, or like things that are going to make you popular and commercial. And there are no, there is no risk taking being done in the public square because it's become this thing that everybody knows you can get famous from doing this. So that's what you do. And all the actually provocative and interesting work is now has gone back to being in galleries. Whereas once it was on the streets, it's gone back to being in galleries. That's what all this reminds me of is that mm. now that we are all aware that you can get big on social, that's what everybody's trying to yeah. do. And that's like ruined the whole thing. Well, you probably draw a connection to Substack where is this the future that everybody just has their own thing or everybody flees to be their own thing and then because you can have more influence and there are benefits to teamwork uh the people <laughs> then join up again and there are issues with the join up and then people yeah uh, is this future is this past yeah you know the the hand becomes a fist <laughs> and then it splays out and then it becomes a fist again and I don't know. I just like having an email list. So uh, that's that's a good no, thing. No, which is great. I am really pleased oh, with oh. how things the, are going. This has you. been an extra narcissistic podcast on, on my part. Uh, but when I did this recent name searching, Matt, I did it last night because I need to stay up. I saw people, I saw multiple instances of people mocking me for my lack of engagement of my tweets, which was interesting. Oh. Because it, and I felt defensive because I mean, honestly, the Substack's crushing. So I, I just felt like, dude, <laughs> I, I need to show these people that I'm racking up numbers, but the well, likes are the numbers right. I'm racking up are not relevant to the world they care about. <laughs> Right, <laughs> which was right, a world right, I used right. to really care about. Right. I mean, if, if yeah. I got a bunch of likes and retweets, it would make my day. So I, I thought that was funny. I thought you'd be <laughs> amused by that. That is well, I've told you this, my conspiracy theory, you do not show up in my feed ever. Mm, yeah. Despite me like engaging with your feed, going to it directly. I'll be like, huh, is Ethan? Okay. But your feed never pops up in my yeah. feed. The algorithms are fucked. So I don't know if that's, you know, cause you're, yeah, I wonder if it's cause that you're a big account or th something th like that. That one's always, that one's so tricky because you hear people say I'm getting shadow banned and they always sound crazy. I don't think shadow. Well, shadow ban is a different thing. I I know, but I'm saying you hear people talk about this stuff and you, you never look good when you're talking about it, but I have sort of had a creeping suspicion of late that I've been de-emphasized in a way. And, um, mm -hmm. you know why that is, who knows? I, I doubt it's anybody specifically within Twitter saying he's got to go down. Maybe, I follow some of the quote unquote wrong people. And so there's some algorithm to, to deal with that. I, I really don't know, but yeah, I've, I've noticed a little bit of that. I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, ultimately, I don't think that it separates success from failure. So it is what it is. No, no. I mean, I think that's the case, but I guess, I mean, I don't know, whatever. That's a dumb, just algorithm thing where you start noticing that the algorithm treats you one way one day and, and suddenly you're being treated a different way another day. But uh, yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I don't know. Look again, it's just Twitter people being Twitter people. These are all just like Twitter people. Yeah, no, it is. And it's, it's so interesting now to see that there's not much of a correlation between 
a rise in the subscriptions and whatever's happening on Twitter, um, which is something that mm. Ben Thompson clued me into, but it is just not, not correlated at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're different things. I, you know, I've been getting into, because I do, uh, I've been doing some audio fiction shows and there's like a big audio fiction presence on some, to some extent on Twitter. Um, but also a lot of podcasts just in general that are very popular, the shows or even their, the people who make them, some of them are big on Twitter, but some are not. And they still have huge shows. You know, it's like, if you're not on that platform, it doesn't, Twitter isn't the mediator of all popularity and people can get big via word of mouth. And I think things like newsletters and podcasts are things that were, were word of where that the platform that they're on is the platform that they're on. Yeah. And people don't care to engage with it on another one. You can maybe promote it on those other platforms, but you know, the, I don't know what I'm saying, but you, yeah, you, well, you get yeah, what I'm saying. I think you, you, word of mouth is great. The product finds its audience. The product finds its audience. Uh, that is what we will end on. I hope our many fans, <laughs> our many fans, Matt, will be placated. Uh, well, the, it's like Man, no, we, we have finally fans. fed them, but it, we've returned and they're yes, just all skeletons because we forgot about them. Yeah, they're all dead. We oh, forgot about them. Months. Well, wait, is this is this app going to have the Rage Against the Machine or is this going to have the French the French song? What, how, how, how are this we doing? Your, this is syncing up. 